0: Trials and tribulations are extremely easy and pleasant, said no one ever. (laughs) Trials are difficult. For the most part, they will almost always be (coughs) difficult, whether we experience them with patience or without it. Impatience makes trials even harder, because it can lead us to question God's providence, whether due to the nature of the trial or to the length of it. Impatience leads us to respond in the flesh in ways that seem best to us, even though it may not please God. For example, when we experience injustices, impatience leads us to take matters into our own hands, saying, I'm going to do things my way, right here, right now. Impatience makes waiting seem long, long because we want results, we want answers right then and there, all while ignoring God's plans. Impatience does not help us to resolve our problems. It does not help us to advance God's call on our life. This morning we're going to be going through chapter 5 of James, and we're going to be going through verses 7 through 11. And the author of James writes to recipients who knew exactly what it was like to experience trials and tribulations because they were being oppressed. This is what James addressed, uh, the issue that James addresses uh, there in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Um, And in those uh, preceding verses, James declares judgment on these believers oppressors and at the same time James was encouraging the recipients of this letter those who were suffering he was encouraging them to wait for God because God has promised to come and make things right again. So it's in this context of these injustices that we learn of the importance of patience in suffering. So the theme of of, our, of the sermon this morning is The importance of patience in suffering. And if you're taking notes this morning, uh, the outline is very simple. There's two points. The first is the call to be patient. And the second is three illustrations of patience. So if you're using the Black Pew Bible with me, you can find James uh, on page 1013. We will be reading James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, before we jump in, um, it would be helpful to get a brief context of what's going on In this letter, this is a short letter that was written by James, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus. And this letter is very short and very practical. James was writing to a group of Jewish Christians who had been scattered outside of Jerusalem due to the persecution that had been uh, initiated by Saul. And then about 10 years later by Herod's persecution of the church. The recipients of this letter were largely made up of poor believers. And the letter helps us to understand that these scattered believers were made up of day laborers, of poor farmers, of tenants uh, who worked the lands of the rich, and of merchants. James addresses some of the rich in his letter, but it's interesting to note that in all of the letter, he never calls uh, or addresses these rich folks as brothers Instead, they are mentioned to acknowledge the trials and tribulations that the recipients of the letters were facing, but also to help understand uh, the recipients how to respond as a result of this suffering. Now, some of the issues that James addresses in his letter include how to respond to trials. James says that the right way to respond to trials is with joy, because trials are a means through which God sanctifies His people, so that we would reflect Christ more and more. James also writes to encourage the recipients to be doers of the Word and not simply hearers of it. James makes it clear that one who claims to have faith in Christ is to display this faith by one's lifestyle. And he likens the faith of someone without the evidence of a transformed life to demons who believe in God, but who are not saved because they have no interest in obeying God, nor do they. And he also encouraged his audience by telling them that faith is not demonstrated through works alone, but it's also demonstrated through words. Another one of the reasons that James wrote to them was to address the issue of favoritism that was taking place in the church. There were believers in the church who had a wrong understanding of justification by faith alone. It seems that many of the believers who were scattered believed that faith was simply a matter of agreeing with Jesus. But because of their condition of poverty, they were happy with just believing in Jesus, but not letting that belief in Jesus lead them to share with other poor believers that were with them. So James says that faith is not simply about agreeing with Jesus but it's about obeying Jesus and what he says. So due to the poverty that these believers were experiencing, befriending the rich who visited their church meetings seemed like the best thing to do because this was seen as a lifeline for the poor. And rather than uh, treating them equally, they would show favoritism towards the rich, treating them right while ignoring the poor and the less fortunate in their assembly, which is why James um, writes to them, saying, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, you are not to live like those in the world and show favoritism to those who can repay you. You are to love those who can't repay you. You are to care for those who are in need just as our heavenly father has demonstrated that care and love for us and so with that background information that's now turn to James exhortation our first point is the call to be patient and we find this in verse 7 here we find a clear call a clear call to be patient until the coming of the lord Then James gives an example of a farmer and returns to his call for them to also be patient. He says there, uh, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Now... Being patient is not something that we naturally gravitate towards. Some of us may even stay away from asking to be patient, to be made patient. I remember as a new believer, I used to fear asking God for patience, for fear of receiving growth in my patience along with trials and tribulations. So I just stayed away from it completely. The thought that would linger in my mind was, what if, God answers my prayer and then things start going bad all of a sudden. I'm not asking for that. But this is the wrong way to think about patience. God can help us cultivate patience even though we may not be experiencing trials at the moment. But we know that God equips us with His grace for the moment of affliction. He equips us for trials that will come sooner or later because some things are certain. We live in a falling world and we experience the effects of the fall every day. And also because Christians will be rejected by this world and thus experience trials and tribulations. This is something that we covered a few weeks ago when Jesus calls someone to follow him. We were reminded that Jesus, when he calls someone to follow him, it is a call to death. It is a call to follow in his footsteps to experience rejection from this world. So trials will come to our life whether or not we pray for patience. It is not wrong for us to ask God to help us grow in our patience. We should pray for patience. So what we find in this text is a responsibility given by God to his people to respond in a way that glorifies him We are called to cultivate and exercise patience in suffering because we all need this if we are to suffer well for God's glory. Now some questions that come to mind, what is patience? What is the relationship between patience and suffering? Is there a relationship between patience and suffering? Patience and hope? Now, let's tackle this last question. Is there a relationship between patience and hope? Our text this morning, along with other passages of Scripture, helps us understand that there is a relationship between patience and hope. James points his audience to the second coming of the Lord to encourage patience. For example, there in verse 7, once again, James writes Be patient until the coming of the Lord. And in verse 8, we read, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. There in verse 7, as we just read, James reminds his audience that the coming of the Lord is something that will happen. As Christians, there is an important event that we should all be waiting for, that should be present in our minds. We are to remember that the Lord has promised to return. He has promised to come back and make things right. And this, this remembering of the Lord's return should hold a special place in our heart. This is important because Christians will experience trials in this life. The life that is made up of many afflictions, This is what Paul refers to as the light and momentary afflictions, there in 2 Corinthians 4.17. These are light and momentary in light of eternity. For our life is but a mist. It's here for a little while, but then it's gone. So what should be our motivation to persevere in this life? Our motivation should be the return of Christ. This is what helps us to be patient and what helps us wait for Him to return. Patience and hope have a relation in that they help us keep focused as we wait for the Lord. If we forget that the Lord is coming, it's very easy to give in to the trials and the temptations that we experience, which then lead us to want to respond in the flesh, to want to take matters into our own hands, to want to repay evil for evil tooth for a tooth or eye for an eye but remembering that the Lord has promised to return will enable us to respond differently because our trust is in the one who has promised to return and to make all things right in trials there is a difference between those who have true and lasting hope and those who don't the unbeliever has all of his hope in this life and what he is and what he has when that is threatened he defends it with all his life and he does anything to defend it on the other hand the believer who knows and understands that the Lord has promised to make things right, trusts in him gives himself to him goes to him in prayer trusting that he hears his prayer and he cares for him, and that he fights for him. He knows that the Lord is our hope, that God will restore all things, that he will come and put an end to all afflictions. He knows that God has promised to establish his kingdom. The believer's hope makes a difference in how he experiences trials in this world. This shapes the way the believers look on life. James' recipients were being oppressed. And the reason that they were being oppressed has to do partly because of their poverty, but also because of their Christian convictions. James writes in the letter that these believers were being dragged into court, that their wages were being withheld from them by the rich, that they were being condemned and even murdered for their faith. And he tells them, in light of this, don't react, don't respond like unbelievers. What was going to make the difference, what was going to enable them to respond like Christ was their patience in Christ. We need to value patience because it's important in the believer's life. Now, one dictionary defines patience as... The capacity to accept or tolerate, to delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. So, patience is not a passive attitude that just goes along for the ride. For the Christian, patience is the ability to willingly accept things that are out of, that are out of our control and to trust in God. Patience is what enables us to keep pushing forward in faithfulness to Jesus when all others give in to their own desires. When those in the world think or speak or do things that are vengeful, a Christian's patience enables him to die to self and to trust himself to the Lord, the judge of all things who stands at the door. He is not easily provoked. Even though the hurt and pain that he or she experiences is real. He is unable to withstand the pressure of the trial and tolerate it until God chooses to bring it to an end. Because as James reminds his his audience back in chapter one, trials are even a good gift from God that are made specifically, tailored specifically for each believer, so that we would be sanctified, so that we would be prepared for heaven. Patience helps us look forward to the one who will come to right all wrongs. It also reminds us that the one who has allowed these trials has his hand on the, the knob of the oven per se and is controlling the heat as he purifies and sanctifies us. This is why James writes, Be patient unto the coming of the Lord because his coming is his coming means justice and vindication. It will, be, it will take place on the day when Jesus returns, that He will crush His enemies and make all things right. Now we have two ways to respond to trials that we face in life. We can seek our own justice, or we can turn to God, relying on Him to help us to be patient until He comes to make things right. Trusting Him and living in a way that glorifies Him. And so James encourages and exhorts these Christians to be patient. So patience and hope are essential to our lives in this world. And so I want to ask you, Christian, are you currently going or experiencing a trial? If so, I'm sure it's not easy and I'm sure it hurts it's painful but in the midst of that where are you placing your hope? Is your hope in comfort? Is it in ease and pleasure? Is it in the things that are temporal the things that are passing away that cannot ultimately provide security? Or are you placing your hope and trust in Christ, the one who left His throne to come into this world to seek and to save you, the one who experienced trials firsthand, but who conquered them on our behalf so that by repenting of sin and turning to Him, we may be right with God? Where are we placing our hope? Let's turn to Scripture to see what it has to say about this. In Luke 21, beginning in verse 12, the context of the passage is prophetic. Christ is teaching about the end days. And there, in verse 12, we read, Before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. in verse 17, You will be hated by all for my name's sake. In verse 19, By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Jesus' message to his followers was consistent. Those who wish to follow him will have to follow in his footsteps. And Paul put it this way, Indeed, all who desire godliness, all all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, how is it that Christ's followers move forward? Well, Scripture teaches us that it's by their endurance, as they trust in God, as we trust in God. Paul writes in Romans five verses one through four. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. If we notice, Paul says that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in Christ, our hope, because He has promised to make all things right. Paul also mentions that we also rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because of the way that God works through the trials and afflictions. Notice what takes place in trials. He says that we know that suffering produces endurance. And endurance then produces character. And character produces hope. There is a process that takes place in trials by which God uses the the trials to purify us of the impurities of our heart. To reveal to us the, the things that are in our heart that are displeasing to God. And the trials make us more like Christ as we learn to trust in Him. As we grow in our relationship with Him in the trials. It is this way that we start to look less like the world and more look more like Christ. Because suffering produces this endurance which produces character and hope. So endurance helps us in trials. And trials helps us in our endurance or in our patience. They both work together. Now, there's a difference between someone who has gone through the school of hard knocks and one who hasn't. Who do you think will have a more experienced character? The one who has experienced trials Or the one whose life is easy, without trials? The one who is experienced in trials is better equipped to face trials and the afflictions of the world. And the Lord says that going through trials is what helps us grow in endurance, which, if we trust in Him, will lead us to to reflect His character. That's so why James writes in, in chapter 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you need trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So when we go through trials, we are placed in the gymnasium of discipline in the gymnasium that disciplines us for godliness. James reminds us to put our hope in Christ, who will come back, to trust Him, to trust His promises, because He will accomplish and fulfill what He has said. Now, how do we cultivate patience? Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. The instruction that we have in Scriptures helps produce hope. When we go to the Bible, and our minds are transformed by the way God thinks, it produces trust. Paul says that even though the world may be impatient, we can turn to Scripture and turn to the God who never lies who always keeps His word, and find hope which leads us to respond by praising God that this world will be made new again, by thanking Him that He is at work even now, that we can trust Him in our trials, in our afflictions. Hebrews 6.11 um, reads, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Here, the writer to the Hebrews is contrasting uh, those who turned away from Christ to those who belong to Christ, and he encourages them to be different. He says in verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, how is it that believers of old persevered and inherited the promises? How was Abraham able to do this? Well, verse 13 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Abraham and the believers of old obtained these promises by faith and patience. This is how Abraham did it. He waited on God patiently. Now, are we in any different situation? Aren't we also called to believe God, to believe His promises? We are also waiting for God to fulfill His promise, for His promise to come back and to restore all things. This is what Abraham did. And so we are to wait patiently. We are to trust God because the coming of the Lord is at hand. We can turn to the Lord and ask Him to help us to grow in patience so that our hope would not waver. And this will lead us to keep going. And so after exhorting these Christians to be patient, James turns to three illustrations. And this is our second point. The first of the illustrations is a farmer. There in verse 7. James writes, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. If anyone is not willing to be patient... He cannot be a farmer. The one who sows has to be patient because the crops or the fruits that are produced never come about from one day to the next. A farmer must be willing to sow and to be patient until the harvest comes in. There is a time interval between the sowing of seeds and the harvesting of of its fruit. Now think about what's it like for a farmer who becomes impatient and starts to, to crop and try to gain his fruit before time. If he starts doing this, his fruit will be no good. He will have wasted his time. The farmer needs to wait for the necessary rain to water the, the crops so that the, the crops would come about. Meanwhile, the the farmer must work the land and prepare it for its harvest to arrive. But patience is necessary while this takes place. So I want to ask you, if you're a Christian, how is your patience? Or to put it another way, how is your impatience? Knowing that we experience trials in this world Are you quick to remember that the Lord has promised that He will return to make all things right again? Or do you grumble like the Israelites did in the desert, not trusting that the Lord is good to keep His word, that the Lord is at work for your good and for His glory as He uses trials to sanctify you? How do you respond in the heat of trials? James reminds us that we can turn to God for wisdom when we find ourselves in various trials. Because God is generous in giving wisdom to those who ask of Him and who gives without reproach. Wisdom is necessary if we're (coughs) to suffer well. But James also encourages that we must ask in faith, believing God. Once again, it comes back to trusting the Lord's promises, believing that he keeps his promises, trusting that the father of light in whom there is no variation is always good. He's always kind. He's always merciful to those who turn to him. And in the same way, James says that we need to be patient. The Lord wants His people to not lose our cool. Just as God sends its rain in its time, God will send His Son Jesus in His time to make everything right again. This leads us to our second example. In verse 10, the prophets. There we read, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord do we look to the prophets as examples of those who waited with patience? Because James calls his hearers to look to them and to be encouraged. As believers, we must not believe the lie that we will not experience trials and tribulations. Because it's easy to believe that as children of God who speak the words of God, that we are somehow exempt of experiencing difficulties trials and tribulations in this world we see the prophets being examples of those who served the lord who gave themselves to his service and yet weren't exempt from suffering the scriptures instruct us on what happened to the prophets many of them were martyred jeremiah for example was a prophet who lived in the final days before israel fell And he's known as the weeping prophet because he cried over Israel's unrepentance and the destruction that was to come. He was one who had no comfort among the people. He was a lonely man and the Lord kept him from marrying and having children because he knew that this was the best thing for him. God knew the judgment and terrible conditions that would soon take place. He was a prophet who prophet who experienced rejection, discouragement, depression, as he walked with the Lord. But he was a faithful man who res, who remained steadfast and trusted in the Lord. God sent his prophets, and they were all killed. The greatest example being his son Jesus, who came into this world and was crucified. He wasn't just bringing God's Word. He was God's very Word and was killed. And it was their faithfulness, the faithfulness that these men displayed in the midst of suffering that gives evidence of their identity as God's people. And our third example is Job in verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Notice there, James writes, We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. When we trust the Lord, there is great joy as we grow in our patience and endurance in the midst of trials. Not because trials are easy. There's joy because we are being made more like Christ. And the effects of the fall are being reversed. James says that we can turn to Job as an example of one who suffered well. And Job is an excellent example of one who was patient in suffering. In Ezekiel, he mentions righteous men one of whom was Job. Job was one who answered, though he slays me, I will hope in him. Job's life teaches us that God is always in control. And no matter what we experience, there are no coincidences. Nothing happens by chance. Job never lost faith in God, even when it got hard. And remember that he lost everything. He lost material possessions. He lost even his own family, his children. When most people would have turned their backs on God, Job didn't waver in his faith. His trust was in God, and that came about as he waited patiently. James says that we can learn a lot from Job. He also says that we must look to God You have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And we see this clearly in the life of Jesus as he came into this world and was one who showed compassion to those that surrounded him, to those that followed him, to those who cried out to him for help. He turned to them, offering them the gospel and forgiving them their sins. He was compassionate towards those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy and recognize their need for a savior. So we can learn a lot about Job, about God in Job's life. James tells us that from Job's life, that we can come to understand that the Lord is compassionate to his people and merciful. And if we patiently wait for the Lord... We will see that He is compassionate and merciful through what His Son has done for us on the cross. Now if you're joining us today and you know yourself not to be a believer, where is your hope placed in the midst of the trials that you experience in this world? The Bible says that true An ultimate and everlasting hope is found in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became like one of us and who lived the life that was expected of each one of us, who obeyed God perfectly and then offered his life as a sacrifice on the cross, so that all who would repent of their sins and turn to him would be saved, so that all who repent and believe would experience his great mercy. As a God who will no longer count sin against the sinner because of what Christ has done. As a Father who shows compassion to those who cannot save themselves, God sent His Son to rescue those who recognize their need of Him. So in conclusion, we are to cultivate a life of patience by turning to God By trusting in Him, by being reminded of God's promises, that God has promised to make all things right. And we do that as we turn to Him in His Word, and we're reminded of these truths. Paul writes to those in Colossus Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is the way that we are to clothe ourselves. As we turn to God in his word. We learn that we are to strengthen our hope. With reminders of the Lord's return. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Come before you and we confess that. We are. Impatient. Many times. We respond. In ways that best to us, disregarding the way that you instruct us, the way that you call us to live in this world. Father, we, we confess that we fall short, that we do what makes us feel good because we want results in our time and in our manner. Father, we praise you that through your Son, Jesus Christ, you offer forgiveness of sins Because when we fall short, your word says that if we confess these sins, that you are faithful and you are just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father, we ask that you would help us to become a faithful people, a patient people. Lord, that we would be trusting in your word. That we would be trusting you and your promises. That we would be reminded that you are a God who keeps his word. And that your word is always yes and amen. And that as we experience trials and tribulations in this world, That we would be reminded that your your promises hold true, that you are working things up for our good, and that you have promised to return and make all things right. We acknowledge that we can't do this on our own, and this only comes as a good gift from you, by your spirit, through your word. It's in Christ's name that we ask this. Amen. Amen.